But if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles, and let's turn to the last book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation, and to the next to last chapter, Revelation 21. Uh, Revelation 21. And if you're a guest with us this morning, we're very glad that you're here. We're thankful for you. Uh, we want you to know that you're always welcome here with us. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find Bibles provided uh, below the seats in front of you. And if you choose to use one of those, you'll find our passage this morning on page 1041. I recently had a conversation with someone that I found quite encouraging. Uh, this lady was sharing with me about a trip she had made to the mountains with her family, her extended family. And along the way, on the trip to the mountains, something hurtful was said. Uh, something that hurt her feelings, caused her to feel wounded. She had been embarrassed in front of her family. So she was already depressed. And then they arrive at the mountains, and the whole reason they had come was to see the leaves change, and it hap hadn't happened yet. They get there, and they were, they were too early. And so she said she was sitting outside, and she was bitter, and she was hurting, and she was grumbling. And then suddenly in the midst of this, she saw one single red leaf. Just one. But she said as she saw that one leaf, it was as if God was reminding her that he had not forsaken her. Uh, that he was there, that he was sovereign, and that she should rest in his goodness and in his presence. She had not come all that way to see just one red leaf, but that leaf was a reminder to her that he was with her and caring for her. And she was helped to have a right attitude and to respond rightly towards her family by that one red leaf. We could not count the many, many ways that God has used this created world to speak to us of his glory. God's fingerprints are everywhere. I would dare say that there is not a single truth taught in Scripture that isn't at least symbolized or figured for us somewhere in creation. We cannot know God savingly through creation alone. We have to have the Bible. Without the Bible, we would not know the name of Jesus or the stories of what God has done in the past. But once we have the Bible, we begin to see echoes of biblical truth everywhere we look in the world. God is speaking everywhere in His creation. But this amazing world that we live in is careening quickly towards its end. Our last Lord's Supper Sunday was a couple of months ago. Uh, if you remember, we missed the first Sunday of January due to snow. But what we saw two months ago in this passage was that this world as we know it is going to pass away. This world is temporary. It is not eternal. This world is going to be replaced, renewed, remade. And in that world, the coming world, the glory of God will be even more intense 
even more wonderful, even more amazing than it is in this one. This world has been tainted by sin, and though it was originally the home of the first paradise, this world now groans because of the sin that has come upon it. The creation that was called very good by God at the end of Genesis 1 is now the setting of child abuse and violence and hatred and deceit. Every sin we can now conceive of is present in this world. And when the cup of man's sin has reached its brim, Christ will come in judgment and this world will be no more. But how sweet will be the world to come. How much better. Look with me at Revelation 21. We're going to read the first four verses. The first four verses. This is the word of God. Our focus will be on the first verse, but we're going to read the first four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Well, as I mentioned, we spent last time looking at the clause in the middle of the first verse, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And we talked about what it meant that we live in a temporary world, that we live in a world passing away. But this morning, I want us to look at the main point of the verse. What's said to us at the beginning of the verse. Here is the truth that we find. Jesus will create a new heaven and a new earth. Questions. When? When is this going to happen? Last time we looked at verses that showed that the return of Christ and the day of judgment and the passing away of this old world and the inauguration of the new world all appear to be dominoes that will fall in very quick succession to one another. We saw verses that tied these events together. So that it appears that when Jesus comes back, that will be the first domino that begins bringing all of these things to pass. The coming of Jesus Christ will be the coming of judgment on this world. And the coming of Jesus Christ will also be the, the coming of paradise for God's people. So this new world could come any day now. The new heavens and the new earth could come this afternoon. And I say, bring it on. Are you ready for it? 
Are you ready for it? Are you, are you praying for it? Why do I say that Jesus will create a new heaven and a new earth? Shouldn't I say God the Father will create a new heaven and a new earth? Look at the beginning of verse 5. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So the one who is going to create the new heavens and the new earth is the one on the throne. And this throne is a reference back to chapter 20, verse 11, where we saw the great white throne of judgment. And who is the judge on the throne? Who is it that makes all things new? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. In other words, when Paul wants to give Timothy a solemn charge, the rest of that verse was the charge for Timothy to preach the word in season, out of season, preach the word. When Paul wants to deliver to Timothy this solemn charge, this is what he calls to Timothy's mind. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will appear and he will judge the living and the dead. Romans 2.16 speaks of that day when Paul says, According to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So it will be God who judges the world, but he will do it through his son, the Lord Jesus. It is the son who sits on the throne. It is the son who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, including the authority to judge this earth, dissolve this earth, and recreate a new heavens and a new earth. And remember from last time, this phrase, new heavens and new earth, It includes the cosmos. It includes the galaxies. It includes supernovas and black holes. And Christ will make all things new. So when? Well, quickly after the Lord Jesus comes back. Who's going to make all things new? Who's going to make the new heavens and the earth? It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what can we say about this new heavens and this new earth that the Lord Jesus will create? Well, there's a lot we can't say. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot that isn't revealed to us. But let me say five things that we do know. Five points about the new heavens and the new earth that is coming. Number one, this heaven and earth will be a new creation. It won't simply be a renovation. It won't be like one of those house makeover shows, okay? The the new heavens and the new earth will be truly new acts of creation through Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Well, mainly because the Bible is clear that this creation, this one that we live in now, will come to a complete and utter end. This creation that we live in now is not simply going to be overhauled. It is going to be obliterated. Listen to these verses. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, speaking of this present heavens and earth. They will perish, but you will remain. 
They will all grow old like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. The idea there is not that your clothes get old and worn out and then you wash them and you stitch them up and then you put them back on. The idea there is that there's a time when you change your garments. You roll up that old trusty pair of jeans that you've been wearing and now it's time for another pair. And unless we have any doubt, the verse says that the present heavens and earth will perish. And the word there means literally to be destroyed. Or if you still have doubts, it's very clear in 2 Peter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So hear those verbs, pass away, will be burned up, will be dissolved. These are not words of remodeling. These are words of complete and utter destruction. And then in our own verse, Revelation 21.1, we saw last time that the verb translated passed away is, also could be translated to leave, to depart, to say farewell. The point is, this old world will be no more. The new heavens and the new earth will truly be new. Now, that's point number one. Now here, point number two, and it's going to sound like a contradiction, and it's not, okay? Point number two, the new heaven and earth will include this universe made new. Let me say it again. The new heavens and earth will include this present universe made new. The Bible is clear that in one sense, this present world will come to a complete and utter end, being destroyed, dissolved by the judgment of God. And yet, out of that destruction, in some sense, this world will be renewed. Listen to Romans 8, verses 19 through 21. Paul says, the creation, this present creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, we're not going to unpack that today, but we did in the past. You can go look it up at mhnbc.net. But according to that passage, this present creation is groaning. This present creation is waiting for the day when it will be set free from the curse, from, from its oppression by men infested by sin. So will this present heavens and earth be destroyed? Yes. And will this present heavens and earth be restored and made new? Yes. And there is no contradiction. There is mystery, but not contradiction. And here's how I know. This is exactly what's happened to you already if you're a Christian. Remember, what Jesus is going to do with the cosmos when he returns is what he has already done 
with the soul of every Christian. We are new creation souls dwelling in old creation bodies in this old world. The last day that is to come has already come upon your soul. If you're a believer, if you've been born again. So think, what happened to you at your conversion? What happened to your soul? Well, your old self was destroyed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you hear the similar language? The old you has passed away. You are a new creation, not a renovation. You are a new creation. The old you has departed. The old you has said goodbye. Who you used to be is now utterly destroyed. Now there are still remnants of sin within you. And your battle is not quite done. But you are not who you used to be before your conversion. The old you is dead. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here is the reality of you, if you're a Christian here this morning. You are a new creation. Your old self is gone, but you don't have a completely new soul. The soul you have is still the soul that you were created with, the one you were born with. And there is a sense in which your soul has been renewed. It is a new creation, but it is the same soul. It has been renewed. And so that's how it will be with the new heavens and the new earth. And we have both of those teachings side by side. The new heavens and the new earth will be truly new. And it will be this universe made new. Beyond that, to my knowledge, the Bible gives us no further explanations. Which means I can't say anything more about it. That's as much as I know. So number three, moving on. Number three, the new earth... The new heavens, the new earth, will be a real place with real physical dimensions. The new earth will be a real place with real physical dimensions. There is a reason that the Bible still calls the new earth the new earth. It will be similar to this physical world that we know right now. The new heavens and the new earth is not an ethereal place where we all exist in some spirit world, nor is it a place where we all float around on clouds and strum harps. It will be a real world, a physical world, a world with contours, a world where we will dwell in glorified physical bodies. Remember the first paradise. It had trees and fruit and animals and rivers. And Adam and Eve ate and they drank and they worked and they slept. And the pictures in the Bible seem to indicate we should expect the same for the paradise to come. Some claim that there will be no time in the world to come. But there is nothing in Scripture that ever gives us that idea. 
Rather, every description we have supports the idea that we will continue to experience the new creation as successive moments of time. We are physical beings. We were made to live within the confines of time and space. And when we look further down in this chapter, we see a picture of kings bringing glory and honor into the heavenly city. And you can't even have words like bringing without the idea of time. We see in the next chapter the picture of a tree yielding its fruit each month. So while God is outside of time and God is not constrained by time, we are created beings and every indication is that you will live and continue to live within the contours of time for all eternity. But your time will never run out. (laughs) Your time will be everlasting. This will be an endless world that is created. And that means all this time... It's time for us to continue growing, discovering, learning more about the glories of God. Uh, Revelation 22 suggests that we will have roles of service in heaven. Duties that will bring us joy as we fulfill them to the glory of God. There are a lot of places that I would love to go in this world to see and savor God's glory. I've never gotten to see Mount Everest. I've never gotten to see the redwoods of California. I've never gotten to see the glaciers of Alaska. There is pulpit rock in Norway. Uh, The mud volcanoes of Azerbaijan. Verdant Gorge in France. Lake Nakuru in Kenya. Some of the wonders of this world. And I've never seen those places. And many of them I likely will not see before I die. But in that new earth, we can expect a new earth with even grander wonders. And you will have an eternity to see them. We will see them in a perfect world where we will experience perfect joy and offer up perfect awestruck worship to God as we behold His handiwork. The new earth will be a place of real physical dimensions. Number four. The new heaven and earth will include heaven itself come to earth. Heaven itself come to earth. There is mystery here, but right now, heaven is a separate place from earth. Remember the 80s song, heaven is a place on earth? Yeah, it's not not biblical, okay? Um, uh, Heaven is a separate place from earth. We pray to our Father who is in heaven. Uh, Peter tells us that Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Jesus said that he was going away to prepare a place for us. So in this world, we are in earth and earth is not heaven. Two separate places. But in this new world, heaven will come To earth. Now, just as God could not be contained by Solomon's temple, and just as God could not be contained and is not contained even within this physical universe, God will never be contained even within the new heavens and the new earth. 
there will always be something of God that is outside of our world, outside of, of, of even the world to come. But in a real way, heaven is going to come to earth in such a way that earth will be heaven. Earth will be paradise. And God will dwell with us, and we will dwell with God. Isn't that what verses 2 and 3 say? And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, look, pay attention to this. Note, this is what the word behold means. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is what makes heaven heaven and this is what will make the new earth heaven. God will be there and he will dwell with us in a way that we have never experienced before. We'll talk more about that on a future Lord's Supper Sunday. Here's our last truth for this morning. Number five. Christ will be the highlight of the new heavens and the new earth. Christ will be the highlight of the new heavens and the new earth. It's having your name in the Lamb's book of life that even gets you into this new world. It is Christ who sits on the throne. It is Christ who is the lamp of this new world in our chapter It is Christ who is the object of his people's service and worship, as we'll see in Revelation 22. The new world will be Christocentric. We will glorify God by loving, worshiping, and serving his Son. What is the hope of the saints here on earth? What is it that the redeemed long for more than anything else? What do you as a Christian desire more than anything else? Is it not to behold the Lamb who saved you? Is it not to behold the face of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His glory? Is it not to see the one who gave His life for you and to be embraced by Him? Jesus has betrothed himself to us and on that day we will see him and we will wed him and we will live in his love forever. In in that world to come, we will see our Savior as a man sees his neighbor today. That is, you will see him with your own glorified eyes. We will see him in his humanity standing before us with glorified arms and glorified legs. The invisible God has become a man so that we can know Him as a man and have a real relationship with Him. And when we see Jesus Christ for the very first time, it will radically transform us. 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we will see Him as He is. The Lord Jesus Christ will return, and He will come in His glory, and we will behold Him in His splendor, and we will be transformed. 
into the very image of Christ himself. I think of the dying words of Samuel Rutherford. He said, I shall shine. I shall see him as he is. I shall see him reign. Mine eyes shall see my Redeemer. These very eyes of mine, no other for me. Don't you long to behold the Lord Jesus Christ? In my preparation, I was reminded of the speech of Mr. Steadfast in Pilgrim's Progress. Mr. Steadfast says, I see myself now at the end of my journey. My toilsome days are ended. I am going now to see that head that was crowned with thorns and to see that face that was spit upon for me. Dear friend, do you know and love the one who is the star of heaven? Do you know and love the one who is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one upon the throne? Do you only know Jesus by name or do you know him? Is he your Savior? Have you come to rest upon him? When the last day comes, will you be one of those who live with him in the new heavens and the new earth? Or God forbid, will you be absent from that place, having found your place in the lake of fire that burns forever? Revelation 20, 21, 22, it sets two destinies before us. There is a heaven And there is a hell. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are on the path to hell. It's what we all deserve. Every one of us in this room. But Jesus has done everything necessary that that you, that me, a sinner, can know all the glories of heaven. Jesus has made the way for sinners to be reconciled to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door. Will you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? If you are here as a Christian this morning, I simply want to ask you, are you longing for the world to come? Is your hope set on heaven? Do you long to see your Savior's face? And because you have that promise, that guarantee from God, are you able to endure the troubles of Monday? Because you have this guarantee, are you able to get up in the morning with encouragement, knowing that whatever today has for you, tomorrow has glory? Glory upon glory. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, May we come with the reminder that we're doing this because Jesus commanded us to do this. And he commanded us to take this bread and this cup as his pledge to us. That just as we come to this table in this world, we are going to come to another table in the world to come. The table of the great wedding feast. And Jesus will be there as the host. And there will be feasting and there will be joy. Because Jesus has made all things new. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.